1: Travis Walton's a really good example. He was the lumberjack in Arizona who got zapped in front of seven of his buddies. And they were gonna arrest those lumberjacks because they thought it was a murder. You know, he said, no way he got zapped by a UFO. You get those two reactions to other paranormal phenomena, the alien abduction phenomena, right? People are either terrified, right? They're taken in the middle of the night against their will. It's a horrific experiments, you know, on the genitals and touching the buttholes and all that kind of stuff. And on the flip end, you have your Stephen Greer's and other ones who have had these supposed contact experiences, and it's all love, light, peace, and oneness with the universe. when they are lifting pollen, they are using less energy than they are flying around normally, as if they're lighter for some reason. And this is a mystery. No one can figure this out. It remains a mystery to this day. The Nazis absolutely could have discovered that. It it seems simple enough. You know, they just discovered bees are anti-gravity, and then they built a big bee. (laughs) Bada-bing, bada-boom. Nazi bell that kind of looks like a thorax with the stinger at the top. Bees can also be used. (laughs) So in certain heavy exoskeleton-bearing insects, in the panels that cover their wings, he discovered there's this, this pattern that he recognized should give off CSE energy. And when looking at them under a microscope, he discovered that they would float a little bit before they landed back on the glass. And so he, stitched a bunch of these together until he made this block. And when he tapped it, it would float up to the ceiling and gently fly up to the ceiling and gently float back down. You know, it was this heavy block. And so he combined a bunch of these blocks until he had this platform. And it was a platform. It looks like a a pallet with handlebars, like with a scooter's handlebar. He said that this craft could fly. It would go incredible speeds. It could go up and down, but not only would it fly, it had all of these bizarre side effects that would occur when he operated.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer, and on today's show, we have a very, very special guest. He's an author, he is a psychonaut, and he is a paranormal researcher. That's right. We have Chaz of the Dead on the show. Not only has this man done uh, much experimentation in the psychedelic, psychonautic realms, He's actually gone out of his way, put his own life in danger and explored Nazi bunkers and even cult activity going on in South America. That's right. We talked about the Friendship Group, which is a sort of semi interstellar group that Chaz spent uh, a great deal of time researching, Uh, like I said, going all the way down to South America to do the on the ground boots on the ground research gotta love that kind of stuff and he's included it all in his very awesome book which i very very i'm very excited i'm saying very a lot i'm very excited because i ordered his book right after our interview i ordered it on amazon so i'm looking forward should be arriving uh in like six or seven days or so I'm very excited to read that book, Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship. And really, what excited me the most, as much as what I just mentioned is extremely interesting, and I'm so excited to present this to you guys. But the B theory, right? His B theory. He's got an A theory, he's got a B theory. Well, his B theory is also, you know, pun intended, concerning uh, bumblebees and their flight. Or rather just bees in general I guess bumblebees are just one type but the bee theory very fascinating stuff and how bees and the way they fly is connected to UFOs in the sky amazing stuff stick around for that before we get to that interview I just got to tell you guys the best way to support this show is through patreon right now patreon is the best way it's where I got a lot of folks supporting us monthly and When you sign up, you get a spirit animal name. That's right, you'll get a spiritual animal name divined by two tarot card decks that I have. I pull at random and it's fun. Everybody seems to vibe with the animal name that they've received, so I'm gonna keep doing it. We've got about 42 patrons now. We just received three new signups just in, in this one day. Really awesome, thank you guys so much. Shout out to you. And uh, they are all going to receive spirit animal names at the end of this episode in the outro. So stick around for the end to hear that. And yeah, if you are interested in something like that, that sounds like your thing, sign up today for as few as $3 a month. You can get all the bonus content we create here on the show. It's not just my family thinks some crazy episodes. Although I do release every episode early. Uh, I also put bonus content on the Patreon. We have a bunch of different episodes of me and my old buddies joking around. We have the library of the Mysticog series. We have the complete episodes of the Synchro Mystic exploration of the ever expanding now, which is never really complete. Tara and I are still on our journey and we plan on doing more synchro content. It seems like the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now is better suited for video content. And I plan on putting some explorations that we've done on the Patreon and the Rockfin. There is one already there, the, our Turkey Hill expedition. So check that out. And Rockfin is the place to catch us live streaming. We've been live streaming on Rockfin uh i definitely want to build up our audience on rockfin and the cool thing about live streaming on rockfin is it's free folks that's right if you have the url if you get the link and i always put the link in our twitter um if you follow us on twitter check the link hit that link and i'm gonna do my best to to schedule it ahead of time and all that so it's not so last minute but we'll be live on rockfin for free and then once we're done live the video will go behind the paywall. So if you haven't supported us on Patreon or Rockfin yet, just know you can catch everything for free live on Rockfin. And for all the Patreon supporters, don't worry, you're not missing out. Like I said, you can catch live streams for free and you can also catch us live streaming in Telegram. That's right. We stream the episode live in Telegram, the audio version of the show. So check us out there so much to be said my family thinks i'm crazy.com is the place to follow up with all that we just actually got a supporter on subscribe star as well so i'm gonna give them a patreon uh spirit animal name as well shout out to you i don't have anything on the subscribe star yet but since somebody signed up that's now i gotta do that so i plan on doing that if subscribe star is more your thing uh stick around and we will have a bunch of content on subscribe star just like we do on patreon just like we do on rockfin uh yes this is my full-time job no it is not the most rewarding but hey if i stick with it who knows maybe i'll be making uh making a real living doing this thing that i love doing and i can't do it without you guys so that's why i spend so much time talking about the support aspect of the show because i really can't do it without you i know it's not the most interesting part of the show but for those who do stick around and listen to this part of the show and they don't skip ahead uh, i appreciate you and if you appreciate the show uh, enough to hear me babble on about this then uh, definitely show your support even a dollar three dollars five dollars a month goes a really long way um and there are rewards uh, not only do you get a mug, stickers, a T-shirt, all these other things uh, through the Patreon? But I do have all of that merch available. Anybody who's a patron, if you want a sticker, just send me your address. I will send you a sticker, no problem at all. Uh, I regret that I haven't done that already. So please just send me your address, and I will send you one. I know some of our patrons back when we had 25, 28 patrons, they all got stickers, but. I'd like to keep up with that for the new patrons. So just don't leave yourself out. It's hard for me to keep track, but it's a lot easier when you remind me. So send me your address and I'll be sure to write it down and send you a sticker, send you some merch. We have t-shirt designs on our new website. The link is in the description. I think it's a Spreadshirt website. I'm not sure exactly if it's uh, Shirtly or one of these t-shirt outlet type websites, but we have one check it out. I've been designing them myself. So if you think they're cool, buy them. If you don't think they're cool, that's fine. I designed them myself. (laughs) So not going to be offended, but I am planning on putting some money into some really cool t-shirt designs for the new year. So if you want to see that happen, it's all the more easier when you support on Patreon to do those types of things. Rockfin, yes, we get a lot of love on Rockfin and I do appreciate that not the most versed in crypto, so I have to learn how to do all that to get the money out of Rockfin, but you are appreciated there. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. So, enough with that. Oh, one last thing, we do have art as well. Tara is an amazing artist, she's a painter, so we are selling some of her paintings on the website, check it out, and we also have some jewelry that I made myself, handmade by Mystic Mark. That's right, I fancy myself As somewhat of a craftsman and I build, uh, these sort of unique wire wrap crystal pendants. So if that sounds cool to you, check it out. And that's it for the support portion of this intro. I just have to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Audrey Lobdell, AudreyLobdell.com. Go there for your tuning fork and Reiki healing needs she's in the new york area but i'm almost certain that they can do remote sessions so check out her website audrey for all that good stuff as well we've got akashagoods.com akashagoods.com is the place to go for all kinds of unique metaphysical items to spruce up the vibes in your life and If you want to spruce things up, maybe do it around spruce trees, elms, cedar, who knows what other trees, I guess it depends on where you live, but if you live in the New York area, you're in luck through through the forest bather. will teach you how to forest bathe and maybe even take you along with her for a forest bathing session. So go check her out. All the links are in the episode description and With that, folks, on to our awesome episode here with Chaz of the Dead. Stick around for an outro where I give some of the patrons spirit animal names and, you know, comment on what's been said in this awesome episode. Well, enough about that. Till then, enjoy Chaz of the Dead. right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and today... On the show, we have somebody who's traveled the world looking for answers in the realm that I myself have turned to so many times, and I've come out with way more questions than answers, so I'm super excited to speak with this gentleman. Not only does he investigate the paranormal scene in his own backyard, but he's gone abroad to places like South America, and I just learned that just now. I mean, this guy is probably one of the most conversational guests I've ever had. Just in the pre-show, we're already getting into all the different stuff. So, Chaz, it's a pleasure to have you here, brother. Introduce yourself to our audience and and let us know uh, a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be kind of a little bit of a research adventure. Late book, go check it out. It's paranormal expeditions: Hunt for the Friendship. Um, it's a case I worked in Chile. It's about UFOs, psychedelics, Nazis, and an expedition to the edge of the world. So if you like any of that stuff, like, go check it out. It's full of weird stories and uh, personal investigation as well. So yeah, it's, it's something I've been passionate about ever since I was a kid and I've been working at it for, for quite some time now. And I love any chance to get on a show or even just corner someone in a bar and uh, talk about my stuff. <laughs>
0: I hear that. I mean, I've had definitely some strange conversations that have gone on not long enough for me, but way too long for the person on the other end. <laughs> and that's why it's a real pleasure to be here and have this podcasting technology so freely available because it's only made it all them all the more easier to connect with like-minded folks. So, you mentioned being interested in this stuff since a young since you were a kid. When exactly did that start? Did you have a paranormal experience? Were you like me and you found like some odd books? Cause I remember Ripley's Believe It or Not. I, I read that book. I was like, spontaneous combustion, ghosts, UFO, Bigfoot. Oh. All of this is real. Like I did not, I believed it. There was no or not.
1: <laughs> well, it's actually funny that you asked that. I, I was definitely big into those kind of books. I have a vivid memory of like one of those kid themed like early reader books, but it was about the Bermuda triangle mm. and all the weird things that have gone missing and stuff down there. And that that was probably a route, but the main route was, it was an experience. I think like many people who are interested in, in these topics that they, they have some kind of root experience. And for me, I was at a young age, I was sleeping on a bottom bunk and my brother had moved from that bed to the top bunk. And it had just happened. They had just built this bunk bed. And one night I just fell out of bed, and underneath the bed was a pair of red eyes staring back at me. And I mean, like almost like a Halloween graphic, like kind of pointed upwards, almond shaped, you know, flaming red eyes looking back at me. And so I hopped back in bed and put the blanket over my head because I'm you know, eight or nine, and that's but that, you're safe. That's how you do it. So the next morning comes, and you know, I'm young, but I'm not dumb so i'm like well there's got to be some kind of electric toy or i just saw the power light of something and maybe you know something like that's going on so i'm cleaning out underneath the bed which of course i would never done before in my entire life no kid cl- cleans on their own and my older brother he's coming down the ladder from the bunk bed and sees what i'm doing and he asks me if i would seen the red eyes too And he had seen them weeks prior when he was sleeping on that bed and had a very similar experience. And that was kind of like, well, dang, you know, shit, (laughs) that's even the most uh, skeptical logical explanation is, well, you had a shared dream, but you know, as a kid, and even now, we we don't have an explanation for that. How can a person share a dream? That means ESP is real. And if ESP is real, you know, it, it, was the, it was the thing that kind of opened the window, you know, at, at the very root of it. The most mundane explanation is that something paranormal had happened. And, you know, was a shared dream. So that was kind of the, the kickoff moment where I was like, well, all this stuff's real. Like, I'm going to start looking into it and it's been a, a winding twisting journey from there but uh, to here with you know psychedelics and ufos i've gone a long way from ghost red eyes but it's it's quite the journey
0: <laughs> right on yeah i imagine it is so you mentioned one of your siblings having uh that same experience did anybody else in the family you don't know, carry this interest, or were you alone in this interest?
1: Interestingly enough, it kind of had an opposite effect on him for a while. He was very, you know, he, he even he, now he's a scientist, he's a chemist, he manages a lab. And he kind of, that kind of, I think, might have been one of the, the roots of that where he went on the direction of, well, I got to. This was fake, and I've got to prove it was fake. And there was an atheistic, you know, stint there when he was, you know, a teenager. Now, much more open to the, you know, concepts and other realms. And, you know, some psychedelics always helps with that. So, you know, he's he's moved on past that, that kind of initial phase. But that initial reaction really was the opposite. It was that this has to be some kind of trickery, some kind of faking, you know, I'm not interested in this subject and you know for a long time i thought he it was a joke he was pranking me maybe my parents were in on it because we were kind of like that as kids but you know the best part of pulling a prank off like that is the haha i got you and yeah you know, it's, it's never come no one's ever cracked on that story so to, to this day he he admits like yeah that was something weird wow so it's no it's it was a bizarre experience but it It's also not like we lived in a haunted house. You know, that was really a one-off. I can't really think of many other, you know, instances as a kid that something paranormal happened at that location. So it's definitely a, one of those weird things. It's one of those weird things that, you know, to this day, I still don't really have an answer for that initial experience.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I can't say I've had anything quite like that, but they're definitely is that odd potential with an experience like that to either send you down a course of like total discovery, or as you put very eloquently, the opposite, which isn't, you know, a lack of discovery. It's just like a whole nother realm, right? He kind of took the more materialistic, atheistic, as you put it, route for a while there. And yeah, I find it fascinating, you know, the, the point about psychedelics kind of being the the grand leveler as it is, like people can unanimously agree like, okay, that psychedelic does something. You know, I don't have to personally take it to understand that you're interacting with this strange Mm -hmm. realm, you know, whereas a paranormal experience doesn't get always get the same amount of credit because it doesn't have like that physical link like you know what I'm saying like that materialistic yeah, mind they can explain it away as like oh well it's a chemical reaction in your brain
1: <laughs> well I, i'm super glad you brought that up because that is kind of the the direction my research has headed is um investigating the the overlap between psychedelic phenomena and paranormal phenomena And and they hugely overlap. I mean, they're they're mirrored experiences in a lot of of aspects, including that aspect that we were just talking about, that kind of duality of where I was super interested and my brother was super afraid of it. You get those kind of, you get those two reactions to other paranormal phenomena, the alien abduction phenomenon, right? People are either terrified, right? They're taken in the middle of the night against their will. It's a horrific, experiments, you know, on the genitals and touching buttholes and all that kind of stuff. And on the flip end, you have your Steven Greer's and other ones who have had these supposed contact experiences and it's all love, light, and peace and oneness with the universe, which anyone who's taken magic mushrooms knows that feeling. You've you've had that feeling, you know, thrust upon you, that oneness is is consistent in psychedelic phenomena. And you also have those other people who take psychedelics and it's the most terrifying thing they've ever experienced. And again, it mirrors these, the, the reaction people have to, to paranormal phenomena. And that's where I really do think there's an area of, uh, where science overlaps the, the paranormal because I do think something is happening chemically in the brain. Something is happening within our own consciousness. But for whatever reason, in that moment when our consciousness is interacting with what we call reality, something else is happening, right? Because you can't look at the paranormal phenomenon and say, it's all in your head. Because even on the base levels, we're talking ghostly phenomenon, that door slammed itself, that glass moved on its own. If you're going up to, to Bigfoot phenomenon, there's footprints, there's hair, there's these weird <laughs> images that we can't explain. If you go on even further to UFO phenomenon, there's implants and scars left on people barney hill from the infamous benny and barney case he had a ring of pimples around his dick you know that's a real physical thing from where they suction cupped about something physical happened to him you know
0: yeah uh, another one that comes to mind is that like yeah radiation the guy who got the scars i think Those it works yeah up in in canada i think he was on the canadian shield somewhere up there and and he was a very famous UFO contactee because he had those like exhaust from the ship, you know, literally burnt his, or at least that's what he explained it as, and mm-hmm. left these radiation marks mm-hmm. on his skin. And he was wearing clothes too, which was even stranger. His clothes weren't burnt, but his skin was. Right. So you you
1: clearly have these in these cases, these famous cases. You they're famous because of the physical aspect but the reason they're discredited is because the if you go a little further the story starts to get crazy mm. well i think it's because these people are having psychedelic experiences once they're aboard or even near these craft their mind is is doing the same thing it's doing when you take a heavy dose of of whatever it is it's desperately trying to keep up it's desperately trying to put the pieces where in ways you can understand it. And that's what, what we kind of hear in these stories. Travis Walton's a really good example. Uh, he was the lumberjack in Arizona who got zapped in front of seven of his buddies. And they were going to arrest those lumberjacks because they thought it was a murder. You know, He said, no way he got zapped by a UFO. You know, that's clearly a made up story. Well, he walks out of the woods seven days later, and he only remembers a few hours passing again, something that happens when under psychedelics. I've had the the thing where I thought I was staring at something for 20 minutes and it was two hours. You know, you, you have that fluctuation of time and then you have the the inverse when you hear real bad trips. People will say, go on for years and years and years. they, they will feel like it's been years and they're, you know, then sucked back and it's only been 10 minutes. So you have that same kind of, of dilation in time when you're experiencing these, these psychedelic moments as people are apparently when they are in interacting with UFOs. Another famous case from South America, one of my favorite cases in the book as well, it's the Corporal Valdez abduction. And it's, it's pretty much the South American equivalent of the, the Walton case. He was a, a corporal leading a training mission and they were on the side of this, this hill in Chile in the Andes. And they saw a, a bright light descend on the, the hill next to them. And they all formed up and their corporal walked off towards the light and he disappeared for about 15 minutes. They couldn't find him. He wasn't reacting. The, then the light vanished. It blinked away. And they found him laying in the, the ground, confused and discombobulated. He was terrified. But they all noted that he had stubble. He was cleanly shaven beforehand, but now he had stubble. And his watch was wound forward seven days. So it was kind of the opposite of the Walton case where whatever happened to he was on that ship for much longer. <laughs> whatever happened to him physically happened much longer to him, but only him in that area. And a- again, these these weird dilations, these weird effects are something people experience, at least, you know, emotionally and and consciously while under psychedelics and another interesting thing about that case is that it was they were interviewed right afterwards and everyone in that party is confused and stammering and they're not even really sure how many people were supposed to be in their unit some of them remember a dog and some of them don't remember a dog there's this whole bizarre all of them just looking at the craft experience this bizarre fog that kind of fell over their their memories and that kind of thing as a side effect just being near the craft. And so it it seems like something to do with this this phenomenon it's not completely separated from us. And it's not to say we are are generating it or to go that far, but it it has to do something with our consciousness. Our consciousness somehow facilitates these sightings. And that of course is reiterated by psychonauts who consistently use substances and interact with entities. They're interacting with a variety of entities and some of them are surprisingly similar to some of the, the entities seen in, in paranormal captures. So this, this is kind of the avenue where I've, I've parked my seat in the, the area of research that I've been focused in on.
0: Wow, yeah, and I mean, consciousness comes to the forefront But it's so interesting how psychedelics are this really crossroads for so many different amazing open topics that I remember cannabis bringing into my life. And then this website, Arrowid, E R O W I D, I'm sure you're familiar with Arrowid, Mm -hmm. with all of these different experiences. And, you know, at like 17, 18 years old, I would look through the experiences on Arrowid and kind of like as if I was shopping, and then I would try to order like, like kava kava mm-hmm. or like mugwort, and it was fun experimenting, but I never quite like broke this threshold, you know? And And when you mentioned psychonauts and having, you know, a plethora of entities in which they interact with, I feel like my psychedelic use or my psychedelic experiences for whatever reason have been limited to this altered fusion, right? This, like, my waking reality gets sort of altered, but I don't quite leave it, you know? And I'm curious, you know, what that says about me, but I, I maybe instead of asking you about me, because I don't know if you're going to... But, like, have you had that experience yourself? Have you broken the threshold? Like, what's your thoughts on this sort of... the perception of psychedelics? Like, where we're actually going?
1: Well, I, I think... uh I think where we're at with psychedelics is, is unfortunate, not only legally in, in that aspect, but I, I do think if there, if you examine the, the scant amount of history that does exist about the subject, that we really lost a science in the Americas when when it, they were colonized. And that science was shamanism, is what we call it today. But it was that, again, that word's like saying magic. But it's it's I guess if you look at medieval Europe, then the magicians were just mathematicians that's kind of an accurate comparison. And then these, these practices, you see the remnants in the Amazon, you know, the most amount of plants in the world, most amount of poisonous plants, but these, these tribes who have no contact with, with the outside world know which medicines, which plants is medicine and which one isn't. And when you ask in, the shamans, when you ask the, the healers of these villages, they say the plants tell them. They say, we, we take these substances, we do these rituals, and we talk to the plants. And there's this weird thing we have where we just dismiss that. We're like, oh, it must have been trial and error. That's clearly not true. Like, that couldn't have happened. So we just dismiss that entirely. You wouldn't, but in the same breath, we don't dismiss Newton when he describes gravity. An invisible force that you know he can count with numbers. So it's a uh, it's uh this kind of you know ignorance that was was carried over and kind of wiped out. How to use these psychedelics properly? How to use these psychedelic psychedelics to intentionally interact with the the universe and with reality? So now we're left with just kind of guesswork. It's really shooting in the dark. And you know when it comes to breaking that realm and, and talking to entities we we know which substances were better and than others we know you know we need to know some basic things but we don't have a we're missing that core understanding that used to exist and some people say it still exists in certain tribes and stuff like that but that all sounds vaguely racist native american talk like yeah, i'm not going to say you know, one way or the better, though, if you are going to do your, I haven't done DMT. I'm waiting to go to to South America to do it in a more traditional setting. But, you know, there's, there's this effort you can make to, to try to restore that balance. And I try that as well when I do my psychedelic experiments, when I'm trying to interact with the paranormal, I always make sure to mark my dosage and, you know, the, the cocktail, if I'm making a tea or whatever it is, and I try to, to make that and monitor that so we can kind of build that understanding back but when it comes to doing psychedelic experiments in the paranormal it's kind of useless to do the super dose blast off mode you know because if you've been around someone who's who's there who's doing that the the interactions are not physical. You're not seeing anything that's completely to them. It's only occurring to that individual. So for me to go under, to take a, a DMT rip in a haunted house, it doesn't matter how many ghosts I talk to, cause that's not, it's not productive. It's not, I'm not getting actual results. It's about getting into an altered state, that heightened altered state where there is more paranoia and you're uncomfortable and, you know, your mind's open to bizarre possibilities and things like that. That seems to be that little cushion area seems to be where these paranormal, truly paranormal things occur, where it interacts physically. And even more so for my research and my own experiences, it seems to be... Even micro doses seem to be more along those lines. And that is from my research. The the reason I kind of moved past ghost hunting to start with was because I did my first kind of paranormal psychedelic experiment was to do mushroom teas and Ouija board sessions. the ghost Southern community was like a huge, no, no. Everyone's like, oh no. Demons and Satan and Ouija boards. And I I didn't really buy into any of that. I I owned this Ouija board a long time. I still have it. I rolled my joints on it, but I had used it a long time and nothing that happened. It was a, a hunk of cardboard and a piece of plastic. So I was like, well, let's try to do, let's, try to ramp something up. Let's see if I can channel some entities while under psychedelics and using this Ouija board, but so I did and nothing happened. And I tried repeatedly again, like every weekend for a month and a half doing this experiment, which is unhealthy. I don't recommend it. There was a period where I collapsed, like blacked out, collapsed, just walking around one day, not while on the psychedelics, just middle of the week. But interestingly enough. That was the same in the middle of the week time when I'm not actively on the substances was when I started to see some strange things. And it first started right before one experiment, I had brewed the tea and I was out of my backyard and I maybe had taken a sip, maybe, but like I I hadn't even gotten, there was no time for it to ingest into my system or anything and it's sunset in Florida, so the sky's you know, blue and orange and purple. And I'm watching the the chemtrails in the distance <laughs> being left by the jetliners. And then I see this bright one that's not blinking like the rest of the planes are. It gets brighter and brighter and then it bursts and scatters into like a bunch of tiny objects. It almost looked like like a satellite re-entering, but there was nothing on the news. No one else reported it. There were a bunch of planes in the sky. No one took a photo. There was no No information on this, this explosion. I was like, well, that's freaking weird. But I mean, that was fucking bizarre. But I kind of, you know, wrote it off because it, it didn't look like, you know, a flying saucer or anything like that. So I was, you know, maybe UFO, maybe something that just blew up and no one else saw it. Sure, it could happen. About a week later, again, in between these experiments, um, not actively on any substances. I, well, I was smoking a blunt with a friend, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of your audience knows that doesn't normally lead to UFO sightings. But we're sitting here smoking a blunt, and I'm talking about these experiments and how unproductive they are, but all, I did uh, see this weird UFO, and... My friends kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. Well, that's you know, you're doing mushrooms every weekend. Sure, you're gonna start seeing some weird shit. And we kind of laughs it off. And then we begin to hear this metallic hum. And one of us jokingly says, maybe that's maybe that's the UFOs now. And almost ironically, that triangle shaped craft flies right over where we're we're sitting. It has a light in each corner. It's that classic black triangle UFO that that you know if you're into the subject you know about and it we can hear it mechanically humming and it kind of sits there for a second. And I mean it's right above the trees. Like I could hit it with a baseball. If I am standing in the street, it was it was close. And then it just continued on. And my buddy had never seen anything like that before. And and to this day he was like, Yeah that was a UFO I You know, that was the one time and it it felt intentional because we were having that conversation and, you know, it it felt almost like, hey, we know you're talking about UFOs. Here we are kind of uh, a nod from the phenomenon. I, I think now looking back on it, I think the whole interaction was a nod to the phenomenon. You know, I was out there determined to experience something paranormal you know, talk to a demon through my Ouija board. I was taking substances, I was ready to do it. And the phenomenon's like, all right, well, here you go, UFO. What are you gonna do with that? You know, and if, if you follow researchers and their experiences, this is consistent. This happens all the time where the phenomenon, it goes, when when you zig, it zags, it goes in a totally different way. But that was kind of the the aha moment for me where I realized, you know, ghosts are just ghosts and bigfoot's not just bigfoot ufos aren't just aliens from another planet something else is going on here and it has to do with with reality and how our consciousness is interacting with it
0: um i am yeah i am on board man and i love the way you lay it out i took a few notes because i didn't want to lose track of this but what you're bringing to mind right off the bat is like a bioaccumulation, like you start to accumulate this psilocybin and it integrates somehow with your actual body your nervous system and facilitates these consciousness states in a maybe a higher frequency where these beings these light beings are vibrating at i mean just from from you know what you're saying that comes to mind but then this concept too of like dose hunting. First of all, never heard of that before. love it. Dose hunting (laughs) because I've definitely been on a few dose hunts and, uh, trademark (laughs) and yeah. And I, I, I gotta say, you know, one of my dose hunts, I was up on this mountain that in hindsight with everything I know now, from what I've researched about the local area is a sacred space, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was up there and I had this one-on-one encounter with a buck that, you know, if I was a hunter, I would have like talked about this for the rest of my life, you know? Like he literally like, shot yeah. <laughs> he literally walked like right up to me uh-huh. and stared me in the eyes. And it's cause I was just really in this state of heightened awareness and and extremely calm. But, you know, having someone who's uh Pueblo and kind of was my mentor at that time, he was like, no brother, that was a spirit animal. Like you, you met mm-hmm. your spirit animal. So that added a level to it for me where okay these entities aren't always going to come in the form of like a gray alien or maybe right. like a sasquatch but it's more regular than you think to have these sort of alternate you know experiences cuz like I said like the average hunter doesn't get that close to a buck ever in the woods you know mm-hmm. but me I'm just you know chilling in yoga pants on top of a rock and here comes a, a buck and, and stares me in the eye for a good 10 minutes, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much that says about, um, you know, my life or, or anything. And and obviously, to your point before, it's like some of these things you just can't convey to other people. Like, if you mm-hmm. go and have this crazy trip and, yeah. and and meet all these, you know, machine elves, it doesn't mean that you just, mm-hmm. like, Discovery. Experiences
1: are, are deeply personal. Right. And exactly. in many cases that overlaps with with the paranormal, especially when it's, you know, a close encounter, when it's third or fourth, you know, probing by the aliens, then it gets to that that kind of level where it's a, a deeply personal experience. But with psychedelics, that is the I mean, it happens all the time when you're you're on those forums and you're reading a thing and it's like, yeah. Okay, it's kind of weird. I actually have one of those that happened to me recently. I kind of recreated that same experiment as before. I just took the mushrooms flat out that time. I didn't make a tea. And it was a, a couple of years after the then first time I did the Ouija board one. And that time I was kind of more open. I was like, I want to talk to the ultra terrestrials. You know, I want to talk to the whatever entities exist beyond there. I wasn't trying to talk to a ghost or anything, you know, I was just out there looking for for communication in a much more kind of open-minded space. And again, I sat on that Ouija board for a while, nothing happened. But while I'm sitting there, my dog comes up to me and he's got a piece of paper in his mouth. And he does this every once in a while. Like it's not He's not, never done it, but it, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm tripping balls and I got a Ouija board in front of me. I'm trying to talk to entities. And he comes up with a paper in his mouth and, and gives it to me. And I un, uncrumple the paper and on it is a, a note my girlfriend had written like a few weeks ago. And it was, she was asking me on the note, how do I get on live with you? Cause I was doing a live stream on like Instagram or something. She was like, how do I get on live with you? Question mark. And my dog handed me this right as I was, you know, trying to get on live with the extra ultra terrestrials. And so that was a really weird moment, but also a dog just handed me a piece of paper and I was trickle balls. So, you know, it's like the two, it's the flip side of it. It's a deeply, you know, that's really weird for me, but you know, to an outside observer, especially if you're, You know, coming at it from a skeptical point of view, you're like, "Well, that's dumb."
0: Well, and (laughs) and and there's something to be there's something to be said though about this grounded perspective through which you're examining. Like you you put it as as experiments, and I found that really respectable Mm -hmm. because you know you really are taking a serious approach to this kind of thing that most people who consider themselves serious researchers, you know, might not take that same angle and thus block themselves off from those experiences in a really, really profound kind of way, which is kind of what we're proving here essentially in the first place. But I want to take it back to another point that kind of came to mind as you were describing what you were describing earlier. And it's this idea that, you know, obviously plants we know are these facilitators of this consciousness, but you know, as we're alluding to here, there's definitely something more than just a chemical in the plant. And what that starts mm-hmm. to make me wonder is how much does the physical landscape play into this? Because we see obviously in the tropics there's going to be more variety of plants, but there's still a psychedelic plants in northern climates in the mm-hmm. you know outside the of the area, yeah. right. And so you have this sort of magical landscape that it seems like you know, and again, not to be, you know, vaguely racist here, but certain <laughs> cultures have a very like deep, deep uh, resonance with their landscape. And you find that those places tend to have these really potent plants, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think, well, and that's the, the crux though of the paranormal is that you don't, most people... I would say 90% of people who have a, a um, you know, valid paranormal experience, let's say, are, are taught a substance, right? Because they most people who are in a substance and think they've, had something paranormal happen they don't write about it they don't talk about it they're like oh man i had a weird trip one time you know and that's they dismiss it themselves as as something non-physical and thus it, it never makes it to the the realm so when we're talking about paranormal cases you know on the whole it's people who aren't intentionally going to these experiences they're not trying to take substances now, that's not to say there might not be something you know in the water, you know, in in old houses, asbestos. And it's also just atmospheric, right? When you go into an old, creepy house, it's old and creepy, and that automatically puts you into a different state of mind than you are typically. And it's kind of that it's somewhere in that shifting. And if you shift enough in the right ways in different directions, you'll shift into something, something, something else, you know, something paranormal. And it's, again, it's subtle in most of those, those cases and most of those instances when, you know, someone's in a a haunted building or something like that. They're not under a lot of altered consciousness, a little bit sometimes, but enough to slam a door. Maybe, maybe to move a glass or to create an EVP if you believe in those kind of things. But when you have other instances, you have much more extreme phenomenon occurring poltergeist phenomenon when it's you know in chairs stacking themselves and strange messages being written i was working on a uh, translating this case from a russian source about these poltergeists some weird videos and images Um, but one family they're up on the 18th floor of one of these Soviet era block you know apartment buildings and this entity is writing on the outside of the window windows that don't open and leaving messages on the outside of the window. And, you know, how can you blame people for that? But of course, in a lot of poltergeist cases, you have the young kids, a lot of time girls, going through puberty, where they're going through those micro changes every minute. <laughs> you know, a new hormone that they've never experienced is released, and it's they're doing those, those micro changes in consciousness constantly. And it seems to create this this outward effect, and you know, some people say that's allowing an entity to come through and interact. Some people say it's purely ESP phenomenon generated from the girl, and that you personify it and that kind of fuels this plot line and it fuels the ESP, which there is some scientific evidence for that last theory, in scientific and spiritual evidence, if you're talking about tulpas and egregores and those kind of concepts. but. I think both of those are still, if we're going at it level-headed view of it, that's still a bit of an extrapolation, especially um, when it comes to, to entities. And I blame the church for this. I don't want to get too political, but there's way too much Bible fan fiction and ghost hunting. And it leads to this, you know, thought of demons and all this. And even for me, a demon is something weird happens. You hear a weird voice and a glass moves on its own. For you to jump to it's a demon is such a, that's such a hop, skip and a leap. There's so much space in there where we need questions that need to be answered before we even can consider something like that. And I think the same applies for thinking it's someone dead from the 1800s. Again, that's a jump and a leap. What we're having is information, disincarnate information. It doesn't exist in a computer, it doesn't exist in a human brain. It, it's existing internally somewhere. And the reason we know it's external like that is because people get information they didn't have before. You have mediums and psychics and even people who interact with poltergeists. The poltergeists have been known to lead them to treasure and things like that. And of course, demon summoners report the same phenomenon. But if you follow those stories, it almost always turns south. The the entity and the spirit almost always flips up on them. And uh, a good example is Jeff the talking mongoose from the UK. If you've never heard of this poltergeist story, check it out, do an episode on it. It's one of the weirdest occurrences ever, because I think it's legitimate. I think it's a legitimate, but it's bizarre. It's it's Jeff, the talking mongoose. It's not a dead little Victorian boy. And anyways, he began talking to the family. They'd see this phantom mongoose and he'd fuck around the house and break shit and move chairs and do all the, leave messages, do all the poltergeist stuff. And he started, you know, speaking. Then they would just hear this voice and guests in the house would hear the voice as well. And, it was a, he was a little smart-ass and he would play pranks and jokes on the family. And yeah, he, but he, at the same time, he'd know the information about other people in the village, like their secrets, things like, oh, he's having an affair with her and she's a whore and things like that. I mean, oh, he's got $18,722 in his bank account. Like things that are impossible for, for the people present to know, but this Entity, if you will, is pulling this information and presenting it. So,
0: so and nonetheless, appearing as a mongoose. Which, I mean, how does a mongoose even know what a bank account is? Yes,
1: <laughs> even speak. It's, it's it's almost as if it's a cartoon, and that's why I think it's a crucial case in this because I think we there's uh, along with the Bible fan fiction aspect of it, there's this intense seriousness put on the the subject especially when it comes to ghosts we're getting it now with ufos but in a different direction like a more military this is a threat to national security kind of of sense, but if you really study the phenomenon, I mean, really study it, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is weird and bizarre and ridiculous. It's high strangeness permeates through all of aspects of the phenomenon. And my my favorite example of that is from, and I really need to figure out the exact one it is. But he was the story is he was going up to see this UFO landing site, and they had to drive for a couple hours up into this mountain, and then hike for a couple more miles until like they they reached this clearing, and there was a, this indentation, burn marks on plants, and right in the center was a plate of freshly cooked pancakes. I mean, steam still rising off of it, and Jacques Vallée's like, I'm, I'm like 40 miles from the nearest diner. Like, this is impossible. Like, this is something. What? What is that? <laughs> you know, and this is one of the most respected researchers that, that has ever graced the field. And he's not immune to it. The the phenomenon is ridiculous. And that is, I think, a a key aspect of it. And so I would like to see the the shift away from these malicious demon-like entities to tricksters. And this is a, a kind of a push that's been going on in the community for a while. There's What's That Great Book, the Jacques Vallée one the, with the masks on the cover. But there's also one called The Trickster and the Paranormal and also biffing on the name of the author. Smoked too many joints. There, there's this kind of idea out there that's being pushed forward that these entities are tricksters, that they're up to, they're playing pranks and they're up to no good. And I think that's the... That's the approach that needs to be taken with all of these entities. Because if you listen to them wholeheartedly, well, we know what happens. We've seen, everyone remembers 2012, right? When nothing happened. Well, how many people were convinced they were talking to spirits and angels and demons and all kinds of things that told them, oh yeah, that's the the end. You have pastors who do it to this, this day. Every year there's one who says, this, no, this is doomsday, I've Zoomed it in. Sell all your things or go into the mothership. You know, it, it happens all the time. And a lot of these people are, are fraudsters and they're in it for, you know, money. But I do think a, a portion of these people are talking to something. And that something's taking them for a spin. Just like Jeff talking Talking goose was fucking with that family. And I think that happens to even the most prevalent researchers. I think Steven Greer's a perfect example of that. Well, part of me thinks he's just in it for the money because those classes are ridiculous. And they are basic meditation teachings. He's teaching basic meditation except with a focus on UFOs. And surprise, surprise, people are seeing UFOs. It's basically doing the same thing without having to buy a bag of magic mushrooms <laughs> that I did. It's a, it's a simple, again, but these things work. It's that altering of consciousness. And so he's either figured that out and he's selling overpriced med- meditation things, or he actually believes he's in contact with alien entities. And he very well might be in contact with entities but they're not telling him the truth They're, You know, they're not, they're saying we're all here for peace, love, and enlightenment, and we need to decentralize the government or they'll never let us make contact. And that is, that's some weird. It's the same weird space communism thing that we've been hearing a long time from these entities. And it's, you know, maybe great in practice, but it's also rich coming from a group of, of entities who kidnap people in the middle of the night, perform unconsensual sex experiments on them. It's not, the phenomenon's clearly not all you know, benevolent. It's not here because it loves us. If it was it they would zoom down to Donald Trump and Joe Biden, they'd get abducted, you know? It wouldn't be the steel mill worker from Pennsylvania. That That's not going to change anything and the entities. If they are even entities, they are aware of this. But again, from my approach at the very base, I don't even like to call them entities. What's there is disincarnate information. It's information that exists somewhere beyond computers and beyond human brains. It's floating around there somewhere in some sphere of reality we don't exist. And that information is presented to us in these paranormal Instances, whether that information is an image, a voice, a thought, a projection, those are there. It's out there somewhere, and it's being presented. That's what we can say. One hundred percent is happening. To say it's a ghost or a bigfoot or an alien, again, we're now we're jumping. We're getting too. Let's back it up. Let's let's face it like that, and then let's analyze the information. Mm. That's where we can get the you know the truth, the core of these, what's actually happening. And that's the the tricky part. And it's really, when people ask me, well, what's it like being a paranormal investigator? Uh, 95% research, I probably get into the field like maybe once every two months. <laughs> you know, like it's not, I'm not like Scooby-Doo driving town to town in a van with my buddies. <laughs> it's not the, the all-star thing, it's about digesting this wealth of information out there and processing in a way that's more productive. So the next group who's processing what you did has a better groundwork so they can continue to build. And so it it does take sifting through the ridiculousness to understand what this information is and where it comes from.
0: Yeah, and I love that point, man, because it feels that way to me sometimes. I don't have a Scooby-Doo mystery vehicle either. I got a Mm -hmm. a Nissan Sentra with a big dent on the side. And when I drive around and I have the the synchros come, you know, there's this, like, feeling of, oh, what does it mean? What does it mean? And in experience, it comes in hindsight, you know, these sort of, Mm -hmm. like you put, digesting the research you know, you can go out and experience some stuff, but at the end of the day, it's going to take going and looking through all of the information to really put together an actual idea that someone else is going to take seriously. But going back to the, you know, not just the, the concept of landscape, but, you know, this idea of a relationship with these entities, whatever they are, we can't... <clears throat> We can't quite define them, but we can Mm -hmm. ascertain that there is this sort of relationship that goes on with whatever that is, interacting with whatever we are. And, you know, what comes to mind is this concept that kind of comes from, uh, again, Native American spirituality, something I've been looking into as it connects to my local area. There's this idea of Habamoko, who's like this, you know angry spirit who needs to be sort of you know, beckoned like they, they give him offerings to kind of chill him out you know and and then obviously there's the the almighty consciousness the the god of gods but there's this sort of respect for the the evil entity and i'm wondering maybe you know in a kind of far out way if that's what's going on here where our, our landscape isn't being respected it's not being honored the way ancient cultures used to so these sort of spirits of the land are manifesting in these ways that you know our consciousness takes one way or the mm-hmm. other you know ufos don't usually get connected to one particular area but i have noticed a gentleman walter bosley connect them to ley lines and i wonder you know maybe that's the the connection we didn't see is like these you know ships are traveling along some kind of energy vortex along the, the planet somehow. Yeah, I actually know?
1: just picked up the 37th parallel. I haven't gotten to it yeah, yet. Yeah, right huh It's next on my reading list. But I like that book's concept a little more. The ley lines get a little too new agey for me. The problem with them are is we're on a globe, so you can draw a straight line from anywhere to anywhere. And so all of the ley line maps I've seen never match up. They're all over right. the place because
0: people are connecting there very subjective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And of course it's a straight line because it's a, a circle. I'm sorry, flat earthers, it's a circle. <laughs> so you could just whoop, whoop, whoop. Anyways. Um, but I do the there's definitely something to the concept of of areas and spaces having the consistent phenomenons you have the um hudson valley ufo flap in new york there's the gulf breeze sightings throughout florida and then you have the even more localized hot spots you have the uh, skinwalker ranch you know well maybe the most famous one nowadays but there's other weird little ones uh, pascagoula mississippi there's an area there called singing river and for over 300 years the The first French settlers, because that area was controlled by the French, heard this singing, this uh, singing coming off the river. And it's been heard for for 300 years. And on that same stretch of river where the singing was heard in the the 70s, I think early 80s, two dudes were abducted by aliens. And... It's a famous case because they went right to the police and passed lie detector tests right afterwards. And the the police hid like a, a recording device in the room to see if they'd catch them like plotting their story or anything, but no, they were just two dudes who were terrified and telling what happened. And the entities they saw were these weird, there's never been a completely unique. They're these kind of metallic men with points for ears and a point on top of their head. If you look up the uh, Pascagoula, abductions, you'll, you'll see drawings of them. They almost look like the day after tomorrow robot, but with like pointy ears and pointy heads. And there were three of them that floated towards them and they blacked out. And one of them remembered a little more than the other. And yeah, from all reports, the completely legitimate abduction, but it's one of these things where, you know, I went there and I'm like, how has no researchers pointed out the connection to them? Well, it's... It's not just a coincidence that this same tiny stretch, it's a huge river, but it's only, uh, I think, an 18 mile stretch. That's the Singing River. And it's the same stretch these dudes were abducted on. And so clearly something is going on here that is paranormal. Something in space and time is wonky in that spot. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever reason. And, you know, there's everyone speculates reasons, I think there's some evidence for certain things, you know, sciences, mainstream science has been pushing the idea that haunted houses are all um, CO2 poisoning, which I don't entirely disagree. I don't think they're all CO2 poisoning, hmm. but I think again, that's a way to put you in an altered state and you don't really know what's happening. And so, yeah, I think it's probably helping facilitate that interaction, but that doesn't mean something's not occurring physically. At those locations, and so there's all kinds of of aspects. Electromagnetic fields have a huge role to play. That's one of the ones where I do think the, the ghost science is kind of close. I don't think they use it right. When I use it, I'm like, I'm just, yeah. So I, I don't think they use it properly, but they're kind of close. That's a use. At least that's a useful tool. I think there's enough evidence to say that, you know, temperature drops in certain things. There are indications that phenomenon is about to occur. You have the Oz factor, which is a, a common, I think Jenny Randall's, like, a great UK researcher, she termed that saying the odds factor. And it's the, the odd, eerie silence that people experience right before they're gonna go to Oz before something paranormal occurs. And that again is consistent in Bigfoot sightings and UFOs and ghost encounters. That's one of those factors. So there are these these things we can see, these common threads that are are hints at, at what the what's occurring. But it's it's you know it's hard to get that big picture. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've even heard things like, you know, our, you know, modern technology that now is so much more prevalent than it was even like 20 years ago. The fact that we're all carrying cameras, recording devices on us for the most part in most areas, these things work and function, uh, maybe not in remote areas where you don't have service, but you could still work your camera if you have a decent battery life. And I've heard some researchers say that Maybe that's a reason why people don't experience what they're hoping to experience when they go out with recording devices, because there is this consciousness aspect to like, you know, these entities and they're aware of your intentions before you even step foot into their domain.
1: I love that you said that because I do think the thing that repels uh, so when I'm I'm looking at these theories and these ideas, there is one great scientific theory out there that I think really encapsulates these ideas from, and again, it's staunchly from a scientific perspective. It's not about paranormal investigation of psychedelics, but it's the idea of biocentrism. There's a great book by Dr. Robert Lanza, and he talks about this idea that, you know, it's an idea that's been in philosophy forever. You know, does a tree fall in the forest? Does it make a sound? And his answer is no, not if there's not anyone to hear it. You know, if if there's, let's say, a pillar on the moon falls over, does it make a sound? Absolutely not, because it's not an eardrum to vibrate. And it's this idea that the missing key to reality is us. It's nothing exists without the observer. And, of course, this is the a concept that we the best minds are currently battling with every day at the hydron collider because it's true they've discovered that these particles the basic building blocks of reality don't exist unless they're observed and so it's i think biocentrism it puts a lot forth a lot of evidence to back that up evidence that i'm not qualified to explain so i'm not going to try you know quantum mechanics this and physics that but it's it, the information is out there, and it, it's definitely, if you're into the subjects, one worth absorbing because it is in that, that scientific realm of how this is uh, a possibility that needs to be taken more seriously and is more and more becoming true. So when we accept that, well, the reason we don't accept that is because it brings in a lot of other iffy questions and a lot of other iffy possibilities that make people uncomfortable from, you know, mental health to national defense. The implications are infinite. And so the, the, it's not even, there's a conspiracy behind it. It's just the flat out fact that it's a a concept impossible. To to get around because how can you observe something without observing it? That would be what is required to understand reality, and I guess that's what happens after death. So you'll get that understanding eventually. <laughs> um, so, but it's it's this you know, it's this impossible situation where we're the mouse in the experiment trying to understand the experiment, and the only I think the only the the best glimpses. For the mouse to understand the experiment is when he sees that weird light from above and that weird shaped figure that picks him up and looks at his butthole and puts him down (laughs) and then we have this weird feeling that that has to do with something i don't know what that was exactly i can't understand what just happened but it's something and it has to do with all this and that's the situation we're currently in and it's it's the a tricky one, but it's again it's observing the outliers, the what we call the paranormal, where we find little grains of of something, and you know it'll probably be many a generation beyond us who piece it together. You know we can give them the pieces.
0: Well, brilliantly said. I wouldn't say you're qualified, maybe on paper, to describe <laughs> that, but I do think you you should try and it would be awesome to see you explain that to a group of uh, students who are studying quantum physics because that would yeah. that that it fits in I mean it's it like I said it's very very well said man and I feel like you know we're already going into the second hour we haven't even really touched much on your book but please take us to to the first time it dawned on you that you could even write a book I mean because you know we kind of started with your first experience and then got off to all these awesome tangents and totally appreciate that because now mm-hmm. I'm I'm downloading all that information and I want to know, you know, was it, you know, because me, like I said, a lot of psychedelics, but never really quite had anything much past that one experience of with the deer and other small synchronicities, mm-hmm. which I think are definitely, you know, part of this bioaccumulation when you take these substances in. But beyond that, you know, when was this, you know, clear to you that oh I could write a book about this. I could even go to another country and, and study this. Like how did that come into your life?
1: Well I was always a, a fan of traveling. Instead of going to university, I cashed out all my college money and backpacked across Europe and North Africa. And I was still very much into the paranormal, you know I was going to weird places and historical places, catacombs and those kind of things while I was over there. But it was more it was still kind of more of a, a hobby phase. And I kind of came back with a bunch of great stories and I was always telling them. And one day I was like, well, let me just write these out. And i would always been a good writer. It was something that had always come naturally to me. And I never had a problem passing an English class or anything like that. And so. It just seemed like the best way to get my information out there. And how I, I kind of came across the friendship case. It was kind of a similar situation to the the Singing River in Pascagoula. I heard about the friendship case on a podcast, did some follow-up research and found there were only two articles written about it in English. And I think they were by the great researcher Micah Hanks um, from North Carolina. And he had written about it, and he had found uh, a newspaper advertisement, in from Southern Chile, from Puerto Montt, uh, a newspaper that's now defunct. But if it, it, well, let me first explain. The friendship is this group of extraterrestrials, so they claim, these tall blonde people, essentially, you know, the Pleiadian archetype. If you're into your exopolitics, which again, that's a huge jump. <laughs> But that's neither here that. The Friendship of Our group of these so-called aliens. They claim to be from the center of the universe. They never get more specific than that. And they seem to operate out of a base in Southern Chile, somewhere in Patagonia. This island, Friendship Island, Isla de Friendship. And interestingly enough, it is Friendship. It's not, I'm not translating that. They chose the English word Friendship in, in South America, which was bizarre, but they also seem to be masters of many languages. There's reports of them speaking Dutch as well as perfect Spanish and of course English. And so there's this, you know, group of tall blondes that I thought it was interesting and also interesting in relation to the fact that South America had a lot of Nazi bases. And of course, with this group's claim, there's a bunch of UFO stories that are are tied to them. People who interact with them seem to interact with UFOs shortly afterwards. And a lot of weird stories. I began going into Spanish sources and reading Encounters of the Friendship. One instance where they gave this object to a UFO group and it made them lose their memories. And so it quickly became clear that this group, if the stories are to believe, are not as peace, love, and happiness as they claim to be. And so I saw this story where there's this UFO angle, there's this Nazi angle, And I have this whole psychedelic angle that I've been working on myself. So that's three different ways to analyze this case. And that sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) So I I was living in Mexico City at the time uh, because I had continued my my traveling and I had crashed there for a couple of years. And so I flew with my uh, then-girlfriend down to, to Chile and uh, we backpacked across the country, going to UFO spots and uh, Nazi compounds looking for it. But back to that Micah Hanks article, the, the final thing that really made me decide to go there was the, this newspaper ad and it was to the friendship, addressed to the friendship in the, the private section of the newspaper. It said, I am the engineer who you met at his home in Sarasota, Florida last year. I did not understand who you were then. But I do now, and I would like to join you. Something like that, to that effect. And that struck home to me, because Sarasota, Florida, is my hometown. That's that's where I grew up. And so that kind of made the whole story just a tad more legitimate. You know, that this is my town. Yeah. Like, oh, i got to talk to these aliens in Chile. And I was like, well, if he did it, maybe. We don't know. He at least tried. But... Maybe there's a shot that I can try. And to this day, I'm still looking for that engineer. Anytime I'm back in town, I'm, you know, plugging the book at bars and stuff and asking about engineers. Haven't had any leads there yet, but it's, yeah, it's this case that I just felt drawn to. So I had to go there and and check it out for myself.
0: Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, before when you were describing this sort of uh, space communism, the idea of Nazis came to mind because, you know, I think I already mentioned him once, Walter Bosley. I've been looking through his work recently, ordered a couple of his books, and that's a big part of his theory. Maybe not Nazis altogether, but, you know, this off-world group, this breakaway civilization that, you know, operates through their own means outside of, you know, mainstream society. And it is very strange that we have, you know, much to your earlier point, all these really bizarre almost experiments, you know, going on, cattle humans you know all these different Mm -hmm. you know strange things happening in these crafts and then to pin you know to make the connection to the the germans it's not that far-fetched i mean look what they were doing to people in their camps and whatnot in, in recorded history and then walter shows how there was all this interest in flying ships in the early 1800s with the germans and you know they weren't necessarily nazis but they were german so i'm sure they had some connections back to the motherland you know as they say so it's definitely yeah i mean even myself i used to work for a baker who learned how to bake german breads but he was venezuelan and from spain right so like Uh (laughs) so like really weird connections like where are you learning to do this german baking in, in in south america how is that inspired there I don't know, maybe a total tangent in itself. But, yeah, man, I love the idea of getting on the ground and going out to these countries and and following the mysteries, especially when they connect back to your own hometown, I mean. And even in history, you know, Florida has a strong connection to the Spanish, and as South America does it, you know, it's really uh, a weird, weird nexus point down there. What else did you find? Anything that doesn't, you know, fit into what you're expecting that you really can't, like, maybe you know, didn't make it to the book that just, you know, was weird in and of, in and of itself?
1: Well, actually, you sum me up for a couple of things. There. First, the the Nazi angle was definitely one of the the weirder ones in my uh, book. And one of the ones I found, I was, because, you know, I'm into paranormal. I, I love history, but I, I feel very comfortable talking about UFOs. I could do dates, times, people, you know, I could do that with, paranormal entities and all that kind of stuff but you know history it was a tough a topic i wasn't really you know super sure i was willing to tackle but i it was turned out to be what people's one of their favorite parts of the book that's where i've got a lot of of feedback on because it is so so interesting and i'm going on a show later this week to talk more about nazis in in south america so yeah i went to to chile with a, a bunch of research And then I went and tried to find some Chilean Nazis. And I first went to a grave of an SS officer, Walter Ralph, and found so was surprised to find it adorned with rose bushes that were like well kept and things like that. Yeah, it says he was entombed there to a crowd of people shouting Hall Hitler while he was uh, lowered into the grave. So it's it definitely was a, a bizarre thing, but my research led me to this place called Villa Bavere, which was this former Nazi compound back when this guy, Paul, what was his name? Ultra Ralph, Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer ran this Nazi compound. He was a medic in World War II, and he fled through the, the Vatican rat lines to South America. And he set up this compound, and his main goal was to molest kids. He was a predator. And he used his school to, to, you know, prey on kids. And eventually he was arrested for that. But during the time that the, during the time the colony operated, it was uh, known. It was a known entity to the Chilean government at the time. Chile, Chile was a military dictatorship. It was funded by the CIA. They threw over, overthrew, and they had this this military dictator. And anytime they wanted someone to disappear, they'd say send them to the Germans, and they would send them to Colonia Dignidad, and they disappear. And to this day, there are, I believe over 250 people who were sent to the colony who have never been found. They're buried out there somewhere and no one knows where. I went out there because it's kind of been rethemed as this German retreat. And there's some Chilean people working there to your point of how this dude knew how to make German bread and there's a whole German restaurant, they serve German food and it's this weird, almost black mirror episode <laughs> that I I found myself walking into and I spent the night at their hotel and went out in the middle of the night and snooped around to see if there was you know, any, any kind of sketchy shit going on, which is probably the closest I've ever got to real journalism but the the strangest thing i found was the photo albums of the weddings that they have there one i thought it was super creepy that people had their weddings at the nazi compound where all those people disappeared but two the most the other interesting thing about that was that there were all these military officers getting married there and so it looked like it, it's kind of seems like they still kind of have that connection on some level with the the military. In fact, back in, I think, 2011, 2012, they found a weapons cache buried on the property and they said, oh no, that's from back then. We had no idea that was there, but you know, who knows? And, and so that was, that was bizarre. And again, this massive fenced in compound, you, you know you've entered it because you pass a fence and you pass the guard tower and then you continue on into the mountains and there's this little guard gate and it's just hundreds of acres of empty land and this tiny like weirdly built german village in the middle of it and it's yeah it's it's a weird a weird thing and when you go further south towards the fjords in patagonia you find more German architecture. There were towns that were set up actually before World War II to attract what the Chileans and Argentinians in particular, they called high value immigrants. And they wanted German and Dutch people, like Swedish, and they wanted all these white people to come settle. And so they built these kind of German themed settlements and they worked for a large fortune, which is why so many of the Nazis ended up fleeing there because they had relatives and family members down there. There Uh there was a system set up, there were German speakers, you know, they they could meld into these communities and some of them did. One of these guys, Walter Ralph died a free man in Chile when they they buried him there. Another guy in Argentina, one of the hotshots, I can't remember his name. One of the top honchos, he was a teacher for decades. And then one day the Mossad kidnapped him on the street, threw him in a van, flew him illegally back to Israel and executed him that same night. And it was a huge fiasco for Argentinian-Israeli relations. They still haven't really ever recovered from that because these governments viewed these people as assets. They were citizens and they you know, had done their time as far as the South Americans were concerned. And a lot of them were you know valuable. They had technology and secrets and, and these kinds of things. And perhaps they had strange technology, you know, bizarre things that we always theorize that the US captured or Russia going to that, that Nazi bell. And I was going to say, the, who was the author of the book he mentioned?
0: Walter Bosley. Uh,
1: Walter Bosley, he is, if he hasn't heard B-theory, someone needs to get it to him. And Let's get
0: him. into it. I mean, that's it's definitely... his missing piece. It's his missing piece. <laughs> Help us understand. Uh, <laughs> so,
1: the well, before we wrap up the friendship bit, is that, so if they did have that UFO technology, um, of course, there's that theory that they went to Antarctica and they hid out in, in Antarctica. And that theory is based off of and a large portion, Admiral Karl Donitz, who said that there was, at his Nuremberg trial, that there was an earthly paradise that the Führer has constructed and will continue to, to rule from there or something like that. And uh-huh. everyone says it's and, but If you go to Patagonia and those beautiful fjords and rock beaches, it looks like the fjords of Norway. It looks like what a German person would call paradise. And so I, I posit that there's a good possibility that this friendship group may just be the leftover children of the scientists who who built this paradise on earth and that their technology, these UFOs, might be the, the last remnants of some, some secret tech.
0: Wow. Um, and- well, and this—I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's all kind of coming to mind now because it's—it's it's so relevant to this. Have you ever—I I, have you ever heard of this like theory of the North South Pole kind of like going in on itself? So like, what was once at the North Pole comes around and comes out through the South Pole somehow. Yeah. What if? What if? And this is total speculation off the top of the dome right here right now. What if the Nazis like you know this like theosophical mythos of their homeland? they associate to the far north, and then because they have this maybe esoteric knowledge of the way the earth works, they're like, oh, well, it's, it's there, it's in Antarctica, let's go there. I mean, that to me seems like a, a strange connection I don't know. Again, totally off the top of the dome. So
1: well, You're good. One day I want to do a whole paranormal expedition to Antarctica. To it,
0: get all we, We've had someone on the show who's been to Antarctica. His name's Brad Olson. He's written uh, a couple or uh, several really awesome books. Yeah. I mean, I definitely put you in touch with him, but his books, modern esoteric, beyond esoteric and future esoteric all get into this topic really in depth. When we asked him about Antarctica, he had a very disappointing answer. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I mean,
1: I also, I also think it's just an island with a bunch of scientists on it. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> Which is what he told us. So the bubble. <laughs> but I did, I did
1: get in touch with the ones of the old scientists who worked there and I kind of uncovered this, um, check out Paranormality magazine. They covered it a few issues ago.
0: I know and Jack. He's a
1: cool guy. First urban legend that's kind of popped up. This okay. guy, Carl the ditch went missing he's kind of become the gremlin of antarctica so if anything goes wrong or goes missing they're like oh carl did it you know he's living out there on the ice somewhere and so it's a really interesting story go check that out but back to the idea of nazis and the b theory so when i'm discussing the possibility that nazis have this tech i think everyone's heard of the nazi bell right this mythical device that we're pretty sure is real. Scientists are pretty sure it was a nuclear centrifuge to make, you know, atomic weapons. But other people have suggested that it's zero point energy, some kind of anti-gravity device. And that's been a long entertained theory, you know, food fighters and lots of UFOs. They, this has been a thing since the war. People were hype up, you know, theorizing that the Nazis had these craft, And so. Back when I was in Morocco backpacking, I met a very strange man who told me he was the son of a CIA agent. And there was a little bit of information. He had some assets and things that were kind of suspicious. No hard evidence, though, to back up that claim. Just some light things that were kind of made me think twice about it, you know? But I initially, like, rolled my eyes and said, okay, sure. And he told me he knew people who flew UFOs and that UFOs, were based off of technology discovered inside of honeybees, and I was like, okay, sure, all right. Well, I didn't even write it down because it just was so crazy. It's just something you don't forget. I hear a million crazy theories a day about reptilians and you know the Bible and all this. UFOs are powered by bees was a, a new one for me, and I was like, hot damn, that's a cool story. And he even said, like, I, he could introduce me to UFO pilots and those kinds of things. Now, none of that ever occurred. I had two lunches with him, but uh, my my time in the country ran out and there was no digital communications to to continue the dialogue. But I wrote that little, you know, diatribe in uh, my book about the Nazi bell. I was like, yeah, there's one time a crazy guy told me. So maybe if it is something that ordained, then yeah, the Nazis absolutely could have discovered that. It, it seems simple enough. You know, they just discovered bees are anti-gravity, and then they built a big bee. <laughs> it's a being bell. Nazi bell that kind of looks like a thorax with a stinger at the top. It kind of, you know, it kind of checked out. And I just threw it in there just as a little you know, note and didn't really think much of it until I was doing a, a show about a year ago, The Sensible Sociopath. They're a good general subject show kind of comedy. They're, they're very funny, but not a paranormal show. You know, not even one that, that's like this, that fo- focuses on these weird topics. They kind of do everything. And they read my book and had me on the show. And the the host, astonished by that little paragraph, because he told me that a friend of his, a close friend of his, he's, his dad was the CIA spook type. And all he would ever tell the kids about what he did was a man in black, like in the movies. And, you know, like that was all he would really get into it. And on his deathbed, the, the son asked this guy, well, tell me more about it. Like, what, what do you mean, man? Like, what's going on? And all he would say was, look at the beats. And the two of them had thought that that had to do with, you know, how bees communicate or something like that until they read my book. And they were like, well, what the fuck? That's weird. (laughs) So now I had these two weird, very unreliable, very shady sources, but they were saying essentially the same thing, like UFOs and bees are somehow connected. And, you know, of course the bees are dying, so they're very important, everyone's talking about it. I started to look into bees and there was, a, for a long time, this kind of myth out there that bees were too heavy to fly. And some MIT mathematicians were bored one day and they did the math and they figured out bees should be too heavy to fly, the wounds are too small. Nowadays they say bees flap in a circular pattern, it creates a vortex and that's how they get enough lift. Except there's a problem with that theory. The problem of a thing they call economy mode and so bees when they are lifting pollen they are using less energy than they are flying around normally as if they're lighter for some reason and this is a mystery no one can figure this out it remains a mystery to this day there's scientific studies about it they like measured how fast the bees were breathing to make sure it's a very weird experiment but they essentially have this, this mystery. There's another thing about how their nests are orientated with gravity. They shouldn't be that way, like it structurally doesn't make sense. Other animals never build nests that way. So there's a couple of other weird things when it comes uh, to bees and gravity. But the really weird thing hit when I discovered the research of this Russian scientist named Viktor Gravinikov. And he was a Russian entomologist, an insect scientist who wrote near the end of his life, he discovered this thing called CSE, the cavity structure effect. And this is a thing recognized in uh, Russia and many parts of the world. It's a legitimate effect. You can look up, you know, experiments. There's actually, if you have a kid who needs a science fair experiment, do one of these CSE experiments. They're super easy and cheap. And they work, There's weird video, go look them up. But it's anything that has these repeated cavities, like a honeycomb or a wasp nest, gives off a very unique electromagnetic field, one that can move through solid objects without you know, as much interference. And it's, he displays it by moving a thing inside of a jar. You can just bunch up a bunch of straws and point it at it and it starts to spin. Like there's all these weird little experiments. And he later, discovered under uh, certain insect wings. He wouldn't say which one in his research because he didn't want these insects to go extinct. Though in his videos, he uses certain, in photos of his research, he's using large scarab beetles. But from what I've heard, bees can also be used. <laughs> so in certain heavy exoskeleton-bearing insects, in the panels that cover their wings, he discovered there's this, this pattern that he recognized should give off CSE energy. And when looking at them under a microscope, he discovered that they would float a little bit before they landed back on the glass. And so he stitched a bunch of these together until he made this block and when he tapped it, it would float up to the ceiling and gently fly up to the ceiling and gently float back down you know it's this wow. this heavy block and so he combined a bunch of these blocks until he had this platform and it was a platform it looks like a a pallet with handlebars like with a scooter's handlebars. there's images of it available right and it's he, he said that this craft could fly. It would go incredible speeds. It could go up and down. But not only would it fly, it had all of these bizarre side effects that would occur when he operated it. And that was the thing that really drove the story home for me. Was the side effects? They were almost the same as the list of side effects I wrote that are the same between paranormal and psychedelics. He said all of these things the time dilation, the strange worlds, the poltergeist activity, all of these things occurred when he operated this craft. On his first test, he noted that he flew it around this university town he worked in, Siberia. And he noted that all the people on the ground the next day were reporting UFO sightings. But they weren't reporting a little man on a, a pallet flying around. They were reporting these giant glowing triangle and as he continued to use the craft he noted it would always be seen as these glowing geometric shapes and never as a little guy on a platform and he rattled off you know saucer shapes, triangle tube you know cigar shape and he rattled off the the ufo shapes and he also noted that other ufos were being seen around the globe the same time he was operating his craft So he assumed that someone else had discovered this. Multiple other people had discovered this because there's UFOs all over the place and that it was in his best interest to just stop using it and shut the fuck up. And so this is pretty much a thing in the last chapter of his book that he's like, oh yeah, I built a flying UFO once. And it gets stranger because the areas he would operate this craft and land it they began to get plagued with poltergeist activity. He said if he were flying the craft and he dropped something off of the craft, it would cause uh, little holes, like little tiny holes to appear in people's wind. Like that were burned through, something that occurs a lot in UFO encounters and flybys. He said one time he dropped a test tube and found it fused inside of a window. Like it had melted together and still in the shape, but like the window was right between it. And all these strange things would happen when he landed the craft at these areas too, and it would stick around for a while. And these areas would be kind of stuck with the this side effect. One of the weirder things he said is when he was collecting his insect specimens, one time he put uh, one in the, the test tube, put it in his pocket, flew back to his lab, you know, an in, in hour's flight max. And when he took the test tube out, the larva was fully grown, something that would normally take weeks. It had fully grown in his pocket from from a larval stage. And he noted several other bizarre time anomalies. And so this was a really weird, like, huh, that's, huh, that's bizarre. And so when I applied B theory, I started thinking about other things like uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And what we know about Skinwalker Ranch is that Robert Bigelow, the aerospace engineer, uh, billionaire He was the one who owned the property, and he, they had, he was the one that put the money into the, the paranormal research, something that hadn't really been done by a private corporation before. And there's all kinds of weird, you know phenomenon: glowing doors opening up and wolfmen running out, orbs of light and poltergeist phenomena. All this stuff occurs at Skinwalker Ranch. Well. If B theory is correct, and if this Russian scientist was able to build one of these in the 80s, it's fair to assume that the Nazis could have built one in the 40s. Maybe they moved to Chile, where they were the friendship group, or where they still are the friendship group, because those occurred in the 80s. But one of these dots, UFOs were shot, shot down over Roswell, and that's how we got to our, you know, our, the U.S.'s secret supply of UFOs or whatever it is. Perhaps, like many of the, the insiders have been saying, the UFO tech is in, in the private sector, and Robert Bigelow has one of these flying craft, and the whole Skinwalker ramps thing is set up to study the side effects. Maybe he's not trying to figure out what's going on there. Maybe he knows what's going on. Maybe that's where he was test flying his UFOs and it's causing all these weird side effects. So he wants to know the long-term you know, side effects of, of operating one of these craft. We can even extrapolate e- even further. If operating these craft causes all these super weird, bizarre, psychedelic side effects, then what does that say about MKUltra, where they were dosing soldiers and pilots and all these people with psychedelics and the guy himself was trying who ran the program took LSD every day because he wanted to acclimatize himself to it so he he said it was so he couldn't be poisoned by foreign agents but maybe you just have to get really good at tripping before you can fly a UFO (laughs) you know maybe that's just part of the the thing so when anytime now I'm presented uh, a UFO story or idea I first of course, I compare it to my A theory, the psychedelic theory. I break it down to the pieces of disincarnate information and what can we extrapolate from there to see what might be going on. At the same time, I also run it through B theory, where I'm like, is this just the government flying a B powered psychedelic UFO?
0: Wow. I love, <laughs> love that one.
1: A lot of the times, though, the, the B theory stands up. It's definitely one yeah. of the ones. And I also like to point out if there's, if someone's running the stats on which one's, on which theory presented is most likely true, from extraterrestrial to psychedelic to B theory. The, I think statistically speaking, we know there's humans and we know they do weird shit and build secret technology. We know all that happens. We still don't know if there is little men on different planets and we still don't know if there, if reality really is a psychedelic experience. We can't say those for sure, but we can say the first three things for sure. So technically B theory for a lot of people would be a theory because it is, it's, it stands up. It's, it's a theory that, you know, it, it has wings.
0: (laughs) I love it, man. The concept of how the. Bees fly and the fact that when they have pollen on them, they're actually in economy mode. I find that really fascinating because what comes to mind is maybe the surface area or maybe the vibration. I mean, so many things that are totally out of my realm. Have you looked into zeppelins at all and and this sort of thing, like with the bells? and Because I've heard some talk of, of bells being used or utilized in those early flying machines as mm-hmm. well.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, I've recently come across some like diagrams, actually triangle-shaped craft that supposedly was the but it's all, the information is all, it's never connected in a linear way. Like it never really matches up. It's kind of someone like, I've got these blueprints and then I've got this thing and this thing and this thing and I'm like, those don't really connects other than they look cool like you know it's it's a really difficult thing to decipher there's also videos out there of people flying around on these little craft that look kind of like gerbinikov's craft but with walls and it's these like the video says it's russian soldiers but i found another video and it's a lot of the same footage and it's it includes a diagram of an engine, like a very typical kind of helicopter engine that's in the floor of that craft. So there's a lot, it's like always with this this field and these subjects, it's always a battle of deciphering which information is, is valid and true. And then, of course, a lot of it gets really technical. Again, it gets into that. Almost engineering phase, where again I'm unqualified to say whether that's legit or bullshit. I, I don't know. I have no idea. That yeah, that's math. Definitely <laughs> that really looks like math, but I, I can't say for sure the the logistics of it. So it's it's a tricky a tricky situation, but I think it definitely is a it's a theory that really it's a, it's a thinker. Right? It, it sticks with you because I think it. It really does explain this, you know, this human aspect to at least the UFO phenomenon, especially now with the military giving it so much attention and, and things like this. Uh, when when the, let's talk about the Navy UFO media, I know everyone's tired of it, but let's examine them through B theory. There could be a couple of things going on there. Personally, if B theory is correct and the governments of the world, at least the the top ones, have these UFOs the same way they have nuclear weapons, then what's occurring there is the Navy is tired of not being cut in on the UFO budget. And they're like, hey, Air Force, we've seen you flying these. Give us some. We want some. We want some of the UFOs. Stop being selfish. dickheads." The Space Force, whoever's in charge of, of the UFOs. Or it could be if these craft are being used by the governments of the world, And they've been doing, you know, these weird UFO black op missions, you know, abducting cows and people and, you know, maybe introducing new STDs and doing, who knows what they were up to. But if that is the way, then perhaps releasing the videos is our military's way of changing the game. There, we're we're in some kind of stalemate deadlock. We keep sending UFO squads to do UFO missions and no one's losing an inch. It's, it's trench warfare, but with UFOs, it's not working. So let's expose the UFOs and see what that does. Let's see who society can handle living in the UFO age and, and who's not. That's the you know government disclosure, I think, argument to some people. Um, The third possibility through B-theory is that we don't have that technology. It's over, they got, they got to Gorbinikov and the Russians and the Chinese have it and we are shit out of luck, which would be unfortunate, but maybe not. Because if these psychedelic side effects are true, then you can't really, it's a kind of equivalent of using nuclear warfare. You leave an area possessed with ghosts and stuff for, for the next however long it, it happens you know whatever the the side effects are i mean stuff seems to continue to happen at skinwalker ranch to this day and then there's also the flip side of it one of the arguments i've heard against B theory and i think it's a good one and another angle to look at it when talking about skinwalker ranch is that the mythology there goes way back there's, there's Native American tribal mythology about that right. valley in that area having the, this special spiritual meaning. But if these crafts affect space, well, we know they affect space through all this weird, bizarre stuff that they leave behind. If it affects time the same way, maybe you're permanently fucking up a timeline for that area. Maybe those weird paranormal effects that were happening a thousand years ago are because of the same occurrence that ha- that's happening now or in the future. Maybe it's, it's forever. Maybe future Robert Bigelow walks through one of those portals and talks to past Robert Bigelow, and they're doing like a whole Rick and Morty scheme. You know, who knows? It's, it's a, this technology. If it is incomprehensible, like Grubinikov describes. I mean, he said, fuck this. I'm putting it away. Like this is a weird, dangerous object. I'll just drive the four miles, the four hours to my research sites. I don't need to fly the little craft. And then he, he put it down. So maybe that's what's occurring for some of these, these people. So who knows? Who knows some of the videos we've seen some of the videos we've seen definitely seem like orbs and smaller. So maybe they put it in probe technology. Maybe the machines can operate this. And maybe that's the 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 new warfare. You just crash one of these UFOs into a town and then everyone goes crazy. <laughs> you know? They're thinking they're gang stalked and they're, you know, talking to a reptilian. Maybe it's all just the side effect. It's a Actual psyop—they're using psychedelic machinery against us. Who knows? It could be any of these possibilities. But it when I think you put it back into the human agents, that's intriguing because we we do weird shit, man. There's weird technology being made every day. The, you know, horrors beyond our imagination are are created every month, it seems like, and so. To this idea that one was built way back then and they've been keeping it secret, I don't think is very far fetched.
0: Yeah, man, and it definitely stokes the curiosity. And you know, it's up to you whether or not curiosity will kill you. But I am oh, not I afraid. It me, <laughs> I'm not I afraid. It's it me, Man in Black.
1: Uh, I hope <laughs> this is the one. I hope they knock on my door. I'm ready for it. I've been waiting for it uh, any day now. I got a mock last night. I was almost sure it was them. It was so late. No, it was the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, I'm telling you, if this is true, they've got to shut me up about it eventually. I've been talking about this all over the place. Well, this eventually is going to get to the Pentagon. So go on, send someone for me. Tell me I'm
0: right. (laughs) Well, all I can hope to send is people to buy your book. And I know one person, uh, me, who's going to be ordering the book as soon as we're done here because I'm fascinated. So tell the listeners where they can follow up with you, bro, and uh, how they can get that book because I need those details. And I, I will follow up on that promise right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me at Chaz of the Dead on most of the social medias. I'm not on Facebook too much, but the other ones, you can find me there. My website's chazofthedead.com. You can find a link to my book there, or you can find it on Amazon. It's Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship. It's a story of UFOs, Nazis, Psychedelics, and an expedition to the edge of the world. So check that out. Last-minute Christmas gifts. Go pick it up. And also check out my website for next year. Um, a Patreon's coming out each month. I'm gonna put out um, these research dossiers that are all on little known subjects. And the first one's actually on Bee Theory, where a bunch of videos and links will be to to back up all the crazy stuff i said. The next one's on Russian poltergeists. So if you like these weird, far-out stories no one's ever heard of from the the paranormal, you can check that out and subscribe. That'll be going live at the start of the next year. So
0: Right on. People. Yeah, right on. Oh, and the other thing I forgot to mention on the point of bees is how weird bee vision is and how like... You know, they literally see pollen, you know, they see these different spectrums mm-hmm. of light, you know. But besides that, we have one last question for you. Does your family think you're crazy? I mean, you're going all over the world. You're studying these things. You're reading books. You're putting out your own books. I mean, come on. How how crazy do they think you are? Oh, uh,
1: they think I'm absolutely crazy. Um, I'm pretty sure each time I see my parents, I ask them if they finish the book. And the answer is always no. So <laughs> they think I'm, I'm pretty crazy, but everyone else likes it. My cousins like it. So not all of them, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a fun one. Check it out, guys.
0: Right on. Well, I hope you asked me that. And I hope my answer is yes, because I'd love to have you back on after I finish reading the book sometime in the future. But for right now, listeners, thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now all right what an episode with chaz of the dead another fantastic my family thinks i'm crazy dive into all things paranormal and strange we've done it before and we'll do it again that's right folks and i hope you stick with us the new year 2022 is coming fast and we have some really great episodes ahead. Um, Ron weed, Andreas Zertus comes back for a third run. And we also had Tim Grimes, Matt Raymer and Matt from the great deception podcast. Bunch of great, really great episodes coming at you, but today's guest. Chaz of the Dead had a lot of interesting stuff to share with us from his initial experience of seeing those flaming red eyes to his trip to South America and all of those strange psychedelic experiences that have educated the really cool theories he laid out for us, you know? I particularly like the... uh, Well, I have the clip. Let's just play it.
1: people are either terrified, right? They're taken in the middle of the night against their will. It's a horrific experiments, you know, on the genitals and touching the buttholes and all that kind of stuff. And on the flip end, you have your Steven Greer's and other ones who have had these supposed contact experiences, and it's all love, light and peace and oneness with the universe, which, Anyone who's taken magic mushrooms knows that feeling. Our consciousness somehow facilitates these sightings, and that, of course, is reiterated by psychonauts who consistently use substances and interact with entities. They're interacting with a variety of entities, and some of them are surprisingly similar to some of the entities seen in paranormal encounters. So this this is kind of the avenue where I've I've parked my seat in the, the area of research that I've been focused in
0: and i loved that part of it and that's why i do have a lot of caution and apprehension when it comes to talking about psychedelics on the show not that i don't take them myself from time to time but i definitely wouldn't want to inspire someone to have an experience that they weren't prepared for uh and chaz lays it out in a really unique way like i said towards the end there i told him i would buy his book and i did it's on the way It will be here in about seven or eight days, and I plan on reading it, having Chaz back on the show for maybe uh, a more in-depth interview, touching on some of the more interesting things that maybe I'll find in his book. Who knows? I definitely have said it already. It's my goal to do more interviews like that where I've read the author's book ahead of time, and I'm very prepared. And I hope that one day the show will be worth it for you to support because I know there's a lot of listeners out there who still have not joined us on the patreon shown us some support there because we can't do it without the support and in honor of our newest patrons and supporters we're gonna give out some spirit animal names that's right not only do we have three new patrons but we also have a new supporter on subscribe star shout out you now I think subscribe star is a little anonymous or something I don't know or maybe this person's username is just anonymous but they are gonna be known as subscribe star subscriber number zero because they are the first one and who knows maybe we'll go straight all the way over to subscribe star and leave patreon behind but I don't know yet I like patreon right now they haven't kicked me off I'm not that big yet Uh, But I think by the time we do, if we ever reach that level, we'll find something else because Patreon doesn't seem to be in line with what we talk about on the show. And that's fine. That's fine. But for now, we're here. We have some spirit animal names to give out. So I've shuffled the deck and I'm going to pick these ahead of time to save time. So we're just going to line them up and then read them off. All right, so our first name we're giving out like I said for supporter zero on subscribe star you are The painted fish Very cool. You got the fish card and the painted face card which represents self-expression Welcome to the family painted fish next up is our patron one of the newest patrons on patreon their name is Kimberly shout out to you Kimberly you are the victorious raccoon you got the counting coup card which represents victory and you got the raccoon card so you are the victorious raccoon welcome to the family Kimberly next up is Brian Brian left us a really nice message on the pod inbox. We still have the pod inbox, go over to pod inbox.com and leave us a message there. I think in the new year, I will not be using the pod inbox anymore. I think I found a free, uh, free alternative. So stay tuned for that. But Brian left us a very nice message. He said, you played my message on your podcast. Yes, I did. he says he loves the show and he loves your handbook for the apocalypse that I do with Mike Wan. Thank you very much, Brian. He has a love for history and the truth and he feels that finding his, our podcast via Mike and the Higher Side chats has been a synchronistic journey to search the mysteries of his area. He recently visited a shaman in his area and it opened a world of enlightenment. found out that his spirit animal is the eagle and the buffalo and his companion animal is the wolf he also had a connection with a native american which was very interesting very interesting stuff i hope this person that you connected with uh teaches you something new and maybe you can share that with us on the show as far as your patron spirit animal name you have received the drum card, which represents rhythm and timing. I find that very synchronous. So you met us at just the right time and all of those things possibly happen with precise timing, very personal. You got the dragon card. So you are the rhythmic dragon, rhythmic dragon. Very cool, Brian. Welcome to the family. We appreciate you and last but not least our newest patron is justin justin thank you for joining us and your spirit animal name Ooh. so we have the southern shield card and the zebra card the southern shield represents innocence and the inner child so you are the innocent zebra welcome to the family Well, that does it for today. Not a lot to say other than I'm blown away by what Chaz shared with us about bees and Viktor Grabinikov. I included a link in the episode description to some more fascinating stuff about Viktor Grabinikov. I think we may be dedicating a episode to this kind of subject. Russian scientists and strange inventors. Uh, very soon so stay tuned for that and thank you folks for listening to the my family i some crazy podcast i hope you have a very merry christmas this episode will be coming out on december 24th 2021 christmas here christmas eve here in the united states so have a merry christmas if you don't celebrate christmas i hope you have a happy holiday whichever holiday you celebrate and i hope you have a happy new year we will definitely be back with more episodes before the new year but until then folks thank you so much for being here with us on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast i love you all from the bottom of my heart if you love us too support us on patreon have a great moment wherever you are in the now